Hi folks, this is Disastercast, a podcast about scary things and how to stop them happening. I'm your host, Drew Ray, and this is episode 34, Operator or Automation. This episode is based on a short paper I wrote a few years ago, presented at the IET System Safety Conference. Regular listeners will recognise some of the themes from previous episodes, particularly episode 31 where I mentioned the ironies of automation by Lisanne Bainbridge, and episode 2 where we discussed performance-shaping factors. Every day, millions of people travel in safety on the railways of the world, protected from operator errors by interlockings which prevent the signals and points being set at dangerous configurations. We use electricity generated by nuclear plants, which shut down the minute that they enter dangerous states. And we drive on roads trusting that traffic lights will never show green in two conflicting directions of travel. We can't exactly count the accidents that don't happen, but it's fair to say that many, many lives have been saved by a simple principle, that automation should prevent operators from taking actions which place a system into a dangerous state. People who advocate this principle point to the many instances of well-intentioned, careless, inexplicable or malicious operator actions which have contributed to accidents. The root causes of these accidents usually extend beyond simple operator error, but that's not the point. Even in well-designed systems, operators can and do make mistakes. There are times, though, when the automation's determination of what constitutes an unsafe action probably should give way to human judgment. For example, the automation may be mistaken about the physical state of the system. In 1993, Lufthansa Flight 2904 was landing at Okresi International Airport in Warsaw. The pilots were incorrectly told that there was a crosswind, and they landed with the aircraft banked slightly to one side. So there was no weight on one set of the wheels, and this combined with water on the runway which caused the wheel rotation to delay, led the landing computer to decide that the aircraft wasn't actually on the ground. As a safety precaution, the computer prevented activation of the main braking system, the spoilers and thrust reverses. Deploying these systems whilst airborne would have been dangerous, but in this case the pilots had a better idea than the computer about what was actually going on. And because of the computer they were unable to brake until the plane ran off the end of the runway. A second example is where the unsafe action is the lesser of two evils. So this was the case in the loss of the USS Thresher, where a reactor shutdown couldn't be overridden, leading to loss of propulsion at a vital moment. The computer was doing the right thing in shutting down the reactor, but the humans knew that there was actually something even more dangerous going on. Thirdly, there may be circumstances understood by the operator, but simply not within the can of the automation, which render an otherwise unsafe action both safe and desirable. So a good example here is medication prescription systems. Now, these systems often contain alerts about dangerous drug interactions, but they don't actually stop the doctor from prescribing. And the reason is they use a fairly simple set of heuristics for deciding what's safe and unsafe, and a human doctor may well have a much greater understanding of drug interactions than the database does. So instead of the original principle, that the 
automation should stop the operator doing dangerous things, maybe we should suggest a counter-principle that ultimate control of safety decisions should always be left to a human. Unfortunately, history teaches us that operator errors include mistakenly overriding safety interlocks. The Three Mile Island and Chernobyl nuclear accidents both involved the operators actually overriding the reactor safety systems. And in the medical field, muting of alarms on surgical equi equipment because they annoy surgeons or distress patients has led to adverse patient outcomes. And this overall dilemma, whether to provide hard interlocks or to allow overrides, can be found in many, many industries. For road transport, we've got the question, should speed limits be automatically enforced, or should drivers have the ultimate control of the speed of their car? In military systems, should thermal limits be allowed to be temporarily exceeded by including battle shorts that can be used in emergency or combat situations? For aircraft, should alpha or flight envelope protection be strictly enforced, or should it be permitted to be exceeded if the pilot deems it necessary? For railways, should it be possible to override signal interlockings or just ignore the signals in order to move trains out of dangerous situations? For medical devices like smart infusion pumps, should the limits on doses be soft, where they can be overridden by doctors, or hard, where they can never be overridden? Let's call this clash of principles the question of final authority. To put it clearly, the question is, in a given situation, should automation be designed to prevent system states which the designers judge to be dangerous, or should the interface always provide a way for the operator to execute any control at any time? Obviously, I'm not the first person to have tried to answer this question, and some authors have been very definite in their views. For example, an author called Billings suggested that since automation can never be made failure-proof, automation should always be designed in such a way that it cannot subvert the exercise of the human operator's responsibilities. We could equally well say, though, that since humans can't be made to be failure-proof, automation should not be designed in such a way that it can be subverted by a human operator. And we'd be equally wrong in both cases. So as a pretty extreme example, consider a microwave oven. Now, microwave ovens are designed to prevent the power going on unless the door is definitely closed. So would you consider designing a microwave with a bypass switch in case of emergency? Of course not. The probability of an accident or even deliberate misuse of the bypass far outweighs any weird circumstance you can think of where in an emergency you might need to operate the microwave with the door open. On the other hand, who would choose to be a passenger on a fully automatic trip to Mars, trusting that the software designers had foreseen every possible contingency? So clearly there's no single answer to the question of final authority. It always depends on the situation. One approach by a guy called Inagaki is based on the amount of available time. 
He called it an adaptive trait of authority. If there's plenty of time, the automation should advise the operator and wait for approval. If there's limited time, then the machine might need to execute automatically without permission. This kind of begs the question though, because an adaptive system is still trusting the automation to decide when to ask for permission. This is also one of those situations where conventional hazard analysis doesn't help us much. Normally we would identify hazards, then treat the risk associated with each hazard on an individual basis. In the case of the final authority decision, there are competing mitigations. The mitigation for operator error, automation. The mitigation for automation error, human in the loop. The mitigation for human in the loop error, interlock. The mitigation for unforeseen situations, interlock override. The mitigation for inappropriate override, well, we're kind of stuck. We could do a sum of risks comparison, adding up all the risks of overrides and the risks of hard interlocks, and choose the least risky option. But this requires us to know the probabilities of the various events, including the probability of automation error, and the probability of understanding an unexpected situation. Just for the record, in case you're ever tempted to try, it does not make sense to include the probability of missing something out of your probabilistic safety calculation as an input for your probabilistic safety calculation. A much better approach is on a case-by-case -case basis to consider whether the human or the computer is by nature best suited to make the ultimate decision. At its most basic, functional allocation considers whether humans or machines are more suited to a particular task. There's a thing called Fitz List, also known as Men Are Better At, Machines Are Better At, or Maba Maba, which gives us a list of things that humans are good at. Humans are good at the ability to detect small amounts of visual or acoustic energy, the ability to perceive patterns of light or sound, the ability to improvise and use flexible procedures, the ability to store very large amounts of information for long periods and to recall relevant facts at the appropriate time, the ability to reason inductively, and the ability to exercise judgment. According to the same source, machines appear to surpass humans when it comes to the ability to respond quickly to control signals and to apply great force smoothly and precisely the ability to perform repetitive routine tasks, the ability to store information briefly and then erase it completely, the ability to reason deductively, including computational ability, and the ability to do many things at once. Now, as you might expect, this approach has been criticised as being overly simplistic, particularly because it ignores considerations other than performance, it ignores the complementary abilities of humans and machines, and it ignores the shared nature of many functions. It's also kind of out of date as to what computers are capable of. When considering the question of ultimate authority though, we are only concerned with performance, and functional allocation is a binary decision. It's not a question of the human and the computer working together, someone has to have the final say. So even though Fitz's list is a bit naive and out of date, it may have the right idea.
while there's no universal rule whether humans or machines should have control in each situation, there will be factors that have differing effects on human performance and computer performance, and we can use these to decide who's most suited in each situation. Now, performance-shaping factors for humans are fairly well understood. They include task demands like workload, the amount of time, demands on memory, demands on vigilance. They include things like the quality of instructions and procedures. They include things about the environment, such as temperature, humidity, noise, and lighting. They cover stresses like time pressure, fatigue, and distractions. And they include individual capacities like training and experience, or attitude and motivation. When it comes to computers making big decisions, there isn't a lot of existing work, so we need to come up with our own performance-shaping factors. There are three main ways computers go wrong. An incorrect mental model, an incorrectly applied rule set, or an incorrectly transmitted action. The mental model is to do with how the computer sees the world. If they misunderstand what's going wrong, they'll make bad calls. Now, it may seem strange to think of the mental model of something that doesn't have a brain. So think of it instead as a combination of the imagination of the programmers with the sensor capability of the machine. If the programmers make incorrect assumptions, or if the sensors are incapable of seeing the world as it is, then the computer will form an incorrect picture. So as an example, consider a driverless car. It needs to form a picture of the street in front of it, and its ability to do so is determined by how well the programmers can imagine all of the things that the car might need to be able to see. If they didn't consider that the car might need to recognise the difference between a statue and a pedestrian, then the car's never going to be able to do it. And the ability of the car to form a picture is also limited simply by its sensors. A car using ultrasonic sensors can only see things that reflect high-frequency sound waves. So performance-shaping factors for the computer's mental model include the domain knowledge of the design team, how well understood the problem space is, and the number and variety of available sensors. An incorrectly applied rule set is what we usually think of just as a computer bug. It comes from an error in specification or an error in implementation. And the performance-shaping factors include all the things that make for good programming. So the quality and culture of the design organisation, the quality of incident reporting and other feedback, and whether the situation lends itself to a clear and obvious set of requirements that can be tested for. Incorrectly transmitted actions come from hardware failures, so the performance-shaping factors here relate to the ability to repair and maintain the computerised system. So getting back to the key story here, we want to know whether we should trust the human, or whether we should trust the computer. So we should consider the factors about this situation that would increase or decrease trust in each. Let's illustrate with an example. If we're talking about a car, then we're talking about humans who are usually fatigued and distracted. Humans have got a low level of training when it comes to driving cars, almost no supervision, and they're making quick decisions under pressure. So that's not a situation where we would expect humans to perform well. 
On the other hand, we're talking about an environment that's very complicated for a programmer to anticipate and model. We've got a vehicle with a very limited suite of sensors, under a very uncontrolled maintenance regime, and in a self-regulated industry. So that's not a situation where we'd expect computers to perform well. Okay, maybe that's not the best example. It just shows that we shouldn't trust humans or computers behind the wheel. Let's try something else. On 6th of March 1987, the Herald of Free Enterprise passenger ferry left port with both the inner and outer bow doors open. The ferry capsized, and 193 lives were lost. The immediate cause of the accident was simply that the assistant bosun, who had responsibility for closing the bow doors, was asleep at the time of departure, and so he never closed them. Now, there's obviously more going on in this situation. In particular, the procedures and responsibilities surrounding closing of the doors were pretty ineffective. But the question we want to ask is whether automation, in the form of an interlock, would have been a better solution in this case than allowing operator freedom. Using the human performance shaping factors, we can see that the task of checking that the doors are closed is one that might be frequently and severely affected by adverse mental states, such as complacency, fatigue, distraction, get-home-itis, and haste. There also might be times when the human performance actually suffers from medical incapacitation, like being drugged or asleep. And whilst it's not inherent to the task, there's clearly not a lot of supervision going on, and organisational influences that shape the environment so that human performance is going to be pretty poor. If we look at automation, we're talking about a problem domain, shutting doors, which is pretty well understood. And it's pretty easy to get complete reliable sensor coverage of the bow doors. There's also a clear fail-safe state, not allowing the vessel to leave port. Now, the same organisational factors which let the bosun be asleep might also mean that the door doesn't get maintained very well. But on balance, the performance shaping factors indicate that automation is a much better solution to make the ultimate safety decision whether you can leave port in this case. A situation which gives the opposite result is drug prescription software. So we know that physicians frequently prescribe drugs which interact adversely with other medication, even when there is enough data that they could make a better decision. And there is software which can cross-check a patient's medication and can highlight the bad interactions. So should we let this software have ultimate control? Should we actually make it stop the doctor from prescribing certain things? Now, in this case, the humans are doctors, and certainly they can have adverse mental states, which have a significant impact on their performance. On the other hand, this is a situation where the humans are very heavily trained, they're well supervised, they're making decisions with good information, with plenty of data available to them, and without huge time pressures. On the side of automation, we're talking about a problem domain that's not well understood. We've got a rule set which is likely to change over time, probably going to change quicker than the software can be reliably updated. 
we can't be sure that the software's got a full set of inputs. We can't put in all the information about the situation. So in this case, the framework suggests that the human should have the ultimate decision. They may be advised by the computer, but still it should be down to the doctor's call. So there's one situation in each direction. How about aircraft? So in August 2005, a Malaysian Airlines flight, a Boeing 777, operating out of Perth, suffered an in-flight upset event. An anomaly in the software let inputs from a known faulty accelerometer get processed by the aircraft system, and the aircraft climbed rapidly before the pilots had a chance to disengage the autopilot. So in this situation, the automation, because it was processing bad information, couldn't detect that it was putting the aircraft into a climb. The operators, on the other hand, were aware what was going on, and they were able to override the automation. So should this sort of thing be allowed to happen routinely? In flight situations, it's pretty unlikely that the pilots are going to be suffering adverse mental and physiological states. They're carefully selected, they're carefully trained, and they've got strong organisational supervision to make sure that they're fit to fly. The automation, on the other hand, is degraded by having limited sensor coverage, and it doesn't have a clear fail-safe state. But this is where we have to remember what Bainbridge told us about the ironies of automation. If we've got increased automation for routine tasks, like we have on aircraft, then this tends to degrade operator situational awareness, and it means that they're going to perform worse in emergency situations. It takes them longer to figure out what's going on. So I kind of suspect there's a point at where you automate all the routine stuff, and that demands that you actually leave the automation in ultimate control in emergencies. Exactly where the point is is a matter of controversy. And it tends to be the case that the Europeans, Airbus, err on the side of giving the computer more authority, and the Americans, ex exemplified by Boeing, err on the side of giving the pilots greater authority. So essentially, Airbus says that fallible pilots should be protected from themselves, whilst Boeing believes that pilots should always have that final authority. So to finish up, this is all a question of trust. Do we trust automation, or do we trust humans? The answer has to be situation-dependent. So we've been looking at how to judge situations by considering performance-shaping factors. A couple of caveats here. Performance-shaping factors for humans are pretty well understood. When I put together this paper, or when I presented it, I had to be quite open about the fact that performance-shaping factors for automation are much more speculative. This whole thing also only works if you assume that the correct action is always to take the safest one. And in many real-world systems, that isn't the case. We need to worry about system performance as well as safety. A perfectly safe automation might actually prevent the system from accomplishing what it needs to do. The whole approach still works if you extend correct beyond safe, but it does require a bit of work to adapt it. So that's it for this episode of DisasterCast. If you're not already listening to it, you should check out Caustic Soda podcast. 
Whilst DisasterCast has a tagline of scary things and how to stop them, Caustic Soda is more just into the scary things side, but they do regularly cover accidents and natural disasters. They had a recent two-parter covering nuclear accidents, which guest stars one of the DisasterCast listeners, Bob Apthorpe. There's a link on the show notes at disastercast.co.uk, where you can also find episode transcripts and leave feedback. The next episode should be out on 1st of July. Till then, keep safe.